listeners. Welcome back to Pulch. Hey, everybody. I'm, uh, I guess I should get this out of the way that I'm, I'm on like day three of getting over a cold. So if I sound, uh, like I'm getting over a cold, guess what? Sound a little bass boosted. Yeah, I do. I I sound a little more, uh, more authoritative, maybe (laughs) a little bit more masculine than normal. People will take your opinions far more seriously now. That's right. They won't think that I'm just some crazy old woman who's <laughs> bothering them at their uh, local government office. Again, the classic Pulch call forward shows that we're true two broadcasting professionals. I actually do sound books. more like a like a broadcasting professional. You do it a How bit. rumbly my voice is. It's just like being in the 50s when radio mattered. Uh, so, have have you been, Nick, apart from having a cold? Apart from the cold, I've been fine. I can't think of much to report on. I mean, there's there's uh, work stuff, but um, that's not... That's verboten. Yeah, that's not something I'm going to talk about that's a little bit too connected with uh, who I am, IRL. So, aside from that, not much. I've been... Um, do I want to mention this if I if I can't give out the specifics? I guess I will. Uh, I've I've started working on like a um, like a site for uh, some of my writing that's uh, related to um, what I want to study in graduate school. Uh, kind of just as an informal way to keep my nose in the relevant literature and keep the juices flowing. At the very least, prevent myself from becoming a worse writer through lack of practice. So uh, that's been a that's been a fun project. I've enjoyed doing that. I've uh, got to learn a little bit of HTML, and uh, yeah, it's uh, keeping me busy, keeping me out of trouble. So that's what I've been working on. You do love getting into trouble. Yeah. Aside from my uh, aside from my not one but two nameless jobs. Yeah. Um. I, actually, I had to call into uh, the one job that I care the the least about that I have on Monday. And I don't think the manager believed me <laughs> because she didn't even reply to my text that I had a fever and I wasn't going to come in, which, um, by the way, here's a pro tip for everyone out there. Who's uh, maybe a little bit younger and hasn't had many jobs. If you need to call off, don't give any explanation. Or just Seriously. Don't m- mention diarrhea. And then, cause nobody's like, Oh, it's not that bad. Nobody wants all the diarrhea in the office. No, just don't, don't even, don't even give a reason. Just say you can't come in. Yeah. I mean, we, at, at my job, when we call in sick, when we're back, we have to like fill in a bit of paperwork saying what was wrong. Mm-hmm. So, uh, diarrhea works every time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I get sick quite a bit, so, um, I probably already seem kind of suspicious because I, I, I'm just a very sickly person. I'm, I get a cold like every five weeks. It's not always this bad, but but it's pretty frequent for me. You're like a Victorian waif. I am, yeah. Which is, uh, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a germ uh, phobe uh, in real life. So it's it's ironic that that happens to me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems to be giving you good cause to be a germaphobe if you're so easily sick. <laughs> I should be more of a germaphobe, yeah. if anything. Um, so that's how I've been. I've been a uh, uh, writing about uh, set theory and um, blowing my nose. Uh, <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. How about you? What have you been up to? 
uh, I, I've been chugging, chugging along at work. I actually had, I finally had the day at work where I was just like, nah, fuck this. I'm, I'm going to quit. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was Valentine's Day. And I was just having a load of shit come in. And I just thought, now nah, fuck this. I'm going to get a new job. So uh, someone, someone I know has told me about uh, an opening that sounds uh, very appealing to me. And I'm not going to describe on air. <laughs> it sounds good. So as soon as that goes up, I will apply and hopefully uh, be done with uh, vague financial field forever. That sounds fantastic. I uh, I actually haven't heard about this off air, so you're going to have to tell me about this when we're done. Oh, it was just, it, I, I you know I was just getting email after email coming in saying deal with this, deal with this, and I realized like none of these people give a shit about me. Like if I died, they just want someone to take over immediately. And then um, obviously it was Valentine's Day, so the people who were in the office were gossiping about the people who'd taken the day off. And uh, one of the people who'd taken the day off is a co-worker I kind of had a crush on who was at Disneyland with her boyfriend and someone went oh hey, her boyfriend kind of looks like you, look, and thrust like a phone with the Instagram page on my face and I was like, yep, <laughs> sounds about right <laughs> just, just is it uh, is it you? is it no, you in like it's, a, it's under not. a made up name? <laughs> it's, he, he, he does Look a little like was one of your coworkers, especially like the expression in the photo is like the face I put in photos because I don't know what to do with my face. I'm trying to picture that. I can't. I can't. I mean, I have his. I've got an example on my desk with you next to me. <laughs> oh, you have that photo. That's a. Uh, yeah, I did wear that hat a lot <laughs> back in. Wow, that's a throwback. Yeah, that's that's super cool. I I didn't. Oh, that's that's touching. So I see that every day while I'm sat, wanting to kill myself over emails. <laughs> uh, am I on a board like uh like Homer Simpson with with uh Maggie? Maggie? No, it's just it for him. You're just kind. It's just kind of propped on my desk because it doesn't have a stand, and because my desk isn't flush against the wall, sometimes it will f- fall. <laughs> Oh man, that's very symbolic, isn't it? I always you're falling I always down it, behind the desk at which you have to <laughs> slave away for eight hours the a day. Lords of capital. Yeah. But uh, oh, and we had um, we had a visit in the office today for, uh, from an emissary from our, our corporate overlords down in in the south of the country. Uh, and she she came around at first at lunchtime, so I was sat at my desk reading Borges and I kind of like blurted out like I'm on lunch I'm not just sat here reading a book on the clock <laughs> it was very awkward <laughs> that's a that's a good feeling when you when you have the end in sight for a job that you really hate yeah I am um, for some reason when I when I left the company I was at uh when I lived in the upper midwest they let me like announce my uh, announce my departure like two and a half months in advance. <laughs> wow. Here's the thing. Like when I when I had the conversation with my manager that like I don't want to do this anymore, this isn't for me, yada yada. It's not you, it's me, all those other things. I announced a date that was like a couple weeks in advance, thinking that that was courteous of me. 
Yeah. And he, he like convinced me to, to push it forward <laughs> into like late summer. And I was like, it's strange because you never really hear that. I, I don't really know why they wanted that to happen because it, it made me eligible for a lot more benefits because <laughs> I, I had longer tenure. Yeah. I'd been there for like a year and a half. Um, so, so I, I, I got out with quite a bit more than I would have. Uh, That's all right. Yeah, it is pretty nice, isn't it? Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get shit when I leave this job. And I, I had these blissful two and a half months where I was just a lame duck and nothing mattered. And I couldn't be added to any long-term projects because I was yeah. going to leave oh, in the middle of them. <laughs> so all I, all I got was the quick turnaround, like trivial stuff to do. Oh my God. And, uh, yeah, that was a good, that was a good two and a half months. I've, I've, I've obviously not put my notice in yet. So I'm still like accepting stuff like, yeah, yeah, I'll do this in like six months time. I'll take this. I'll take over this. Suckers. Yeah, what I should have done is I should have um I should have committed myself to a bunch of projects, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just Instead like, of, skip out. I'll rewrite your entire database. <laughs> Bye. And, uh, I'll have it done on July twenty-eighth. <laughs> yeah, so that's you know, that's how I've been. Uh unsteady, unstable. <laughs> Ready to, like there have been a couple points where I've had to like I've dealt with some bullshit over email and it's like if this client calls me over the phone to to kick up a fuss I will just tell them to fuck off. <laughs> Luckily that didn't happen so I'm I'm still employed. Yeah, I'd recommend against that. I'd recommend against doing that. Can you just imagine how good it would feel though just once just the once to just tell someone to fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Um oh man. I, I that's bringing to mind so many things that I want to I would love to bring up if this were not a being broadcast to the whole wide internet which has decided to return the love to us I guess I should say oh uh, yeah thank you um, very much to uh, our, our three funders uh executive producers shall we call them uh we probably should yeah. like name them on air in case they don't want to be named well it's just a it's just a first name um, yeah, but you never know. So I, Ops, Ops I pulled up. I, you think I shouldn't say their first names? Well, I don't know. They might not want us to. Okay, um, that's fine. I guess we didn't we didn't explicitly say that we we share your first name. <laughs> uh, yeah, it might might they might be might, I don't know what they are. So it might be that one of them is like a unique first name. Could immediately be. These are not unique first names. All right, whatever. I mean, there's there is three of you. Um, you all have different names. You know who you are. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, it, it really makes me feel shame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's uh, I I see the stats and it's like surprisingly varied. Like I really thought it would just be like United States, United Kingdom, but yeah. Um, there's there's people from from my hometown all the way to like Azerbaijan. And I know these aren't bots because I can see the, the listening data as well. Um, I can see your IP address. Uh, <laughs> it takes a picture of you with your webcam. Uh, no, 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 but but it, it does give you some some pretty good data on it. So I, I know at least most of this is, is legit and um, it's kind of humbling. And I just want to say, if you're out there and you're like giving us money, um, I really hope you're not from a country that has an unfavorable exchange rate with the U S and like 
this amount of money means something to you because it is what it is. Like it's, have, it's really I would have no qualms about that being the case whatsoever. I just want to say. Really? I, if you're from Guatemala or something, you need it more than we do. But, um, you know, if you're a software developer or something, uh, multiply your donation by 10. Yeah. You're not giving <laughs> us enough. Oh, speaking of, um, speaking of uh, countries in that sort of uh, region, you, you know uh, Jollibee, the, uh, the Filipino fast food restaurant? I do know Jollibee for reasons that I cannot name. Well, I mean, you've, you've got them in the States, right? Uh, yeah, we do have some Jollibees yes. in the States. So, uh, I think we have one in Chicago, actually. They've, they've, they've started opening them here. So they've, they've opened one in a um, city I live in. And some, uh-huh. some of my coworkers were like, oh, maybe we should go check it out. So we pulled up the Google reviews. And uh, one of them is, one star. This is extremely disappointing. I've been to all of the Jollibees in the UK, and this is definitely the worst. <laughs> That's... What did you uh, What did you get from Jollibee? Uh, I didn't go to Jollibee because uh, literally everything there is anathema to my uh, diseased stomach. Yeah, you didn't get the uh, the sad little hamburger <laughs> with the lurid orange sauce. <laughs> no, it it doesn't look great. I have to say, the food on offer it's it's an unusual combination as well: spaghetti, fried chicken, and burgers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Filipino spaghetti uh, is is one of the most foul dishes <laughs> in the entire world. It's like so the sauce is not like a tomato paste base sauce it's a ketchup base sauce and there's like sugar added to it so it is like it's sticky it's really really sweet and it's like sticky and uh sometimes there's bits of like sliced vienna sausages and bananas bananas uh, in this in this dish that's not called spaghetti it's called sketty what the fuck and if you visit the philippines and you're an american because, you know, spaghetti, it's like an import kind of Western dish. Everyone will just assume that what you want from them is not like delicious Filipino food. It's this like <laughs> horrible Frankenstein spaghetti dish. I'm, and I mean, you have to like eat it and, you know, <laughs> be polite about it. But I mean, it's let, really, really bad. Fair. And you given just most, wish you could get a grilled tilapia. Given most Americans' dietary habits, that's not an unreasonable expectation. <laughs> that they just want some disgusting sugary slop. No, no, it's um, yeah, you really don't want that stuff. I mean, it's kind of, kind of like I imagine Americans abroad are kind of like English people abroad, but they'll go to like they'll go to Turkey and they'll go to a hotel with like a buffet and they'll just eat chips. Like they won't try any Turkish food. They'll just eat chips. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think one of the differences might be that Americans get far less vacation time than Europeans do. Yeah. On average, I think it's something like two weeks of the year um, for like salaried professional jobs. Um, so that might even be a, a, a large estimate, actually. I think I got something like 11 dates when I was at my previous company. Jesus Christ. Um, but anyway, so it's like you don't, um, taking a vacation is just, especially a large international vacation is kind of, um, it's less common for Americans. Yeah. What you might call middle-class Americans. If they do take trips like that, it's going to be once every decade or so. Um, it's really not something that's, uh, every season you go to Greece kind of thing. Like, um, 
like uh, British people do because we just don't have a, we don't really have that luxury. That's so Americans abroad are kind of, um, if you're an American who's, who's visiting the Philippines and you're, you're not Filipino, um, and you're just going for like scuba diving or something, um, you're probably, uh, pretty, uh, wealthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brits abroad have a terrible reputation, by the way. Deservedly so. <laughs> everyone, everyone complains about British tourists in the Philippines. Yeah, I mean, as they should. I they're they're low with the... <laughs> I'm sorry to report. No, I can, I can, I can imagine. Like I've, I mean, English people at home are bad enough. Like you combine that, you know, you support them abroad on holiday with their sort of uh, racially insensitive views, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> You'd think that uh, you'd think that the prevalence of international travel would would do something to uh, nope to stymie that a little bit, wouldn't you? If you've actually had the luxury of going to Turkey and meeting some Turks, you'd think you'd well, be no, because a... they don't meet Turks. They go to resorts where they only meet other English people, and the only Turks they meet are staff who hand them towels and mop up their sick. Like the, there's a whole there's a whole region of the Spanish coast which is just completely like english speaking because it's just full of english expats not for much yeah. longer though lol <laughs> that's right that's gonna that's gonna get a lot tougher uh for for you guys um that's that's completely finished right brexit is that that's nothing no, of course kind of remaining not. to do <laughs> no it really there's, there's 50 years worth of legislation to uh, to amend of course it's not finished <laughs> How naive of me. I mean, that was like 2015, right? That that vote passed? The vote was the vote was 2016, and we were supposed to like finalize leaving in 2019, but it didn't happen until like last year. And mm-hmm. then obviously everything in the politics is a huge shit show right now. Right. Yeah. Well, one thing that's very different about your country is that elections are so rapid. Yeah, we, and, had, uh, we had like two elections. They can, they can be between, called, yeah, they can be called strategically. Yeah, we had, I think we had two snap elections during the last American election, didn't we? Yeah, like, am, am I right about this? Like, if, you're, if your party is, is, in a, is in an advantageous spot, like, you can call an election and yeah. form a government, right? Just call like, in sort of a strategic way. It yeah. doesn't just happen um, every four years regardless yeah, exactly. You can. That seems kind of um. It's just democ- just democracy manifest. A little bit. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> that seems a, a little bit too easy to game. I don't know. I mean, it's not like American elections are much better. But well, I, uh, I mean, the last couple of times they've tried it, it's it's not really worked. Like it didn't go great. Yeah. The last time the snap elections happened, so. Yeah, that's right. It and then it would be easy to thing. game if you were a good politician, which uh, nobody is in England. We haven't had a good politician in about sixty years. And then there's this whole whole thing of like votes of no confidence, which I don't really, I don't really understand. I have a minor in European studies, and I don't, I don't get this. I mean, I'm not totally up on it either because they've only really, like, in my lifetime, they've only been the one in Theresa May, which failed anyway. And the one in right. Boris Johnson, which they didn't even get to, which kind of shows how useless they are. Because if if you're not going to be able to draw up enough support to, to call a you know a vote of no confidence and win it against two of the worst prime ministers in history, 
than like why even bother it is really it's just so funny that boris johnson is your prime minister i mean i'm I'm still i should be over that by this point but i'm not every time i'm reminded of that i'm like oh my goodness he really is the prime minister isn't he boris johnson i've i've recently been watching uh the tv show toast of london which started yeah. in like it started in like 2012 2013 and at one point there's a joke where the main character Stephen Toast says to a, a politician Boris Johnson for the top job and obviously at the time it's haha how ridiculous what a completely ridiculous suggestion and here we are right right oh man let's see if i can remember you you might remember this better than i do there's there's one part in uh on uh, on Brass Eye, the science episode where uh, where uh, like celebrities are are having people grow new organs for them. Yeah, and, uh, I think it's like Donald Trump is is having someone grow like a bunch of new like ears or something for him. And they have this this old shot of uh, Donald Trump when he was just known as a uh, as a real estate guy. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Ah, oh, Brass Eye, what what a show. <laughs> that's that's it's every time. I watch it it's strange it's like I've never seen it before because it's such a dense show like it's just so many jokes per minute that you can't really remember most of it yeah it's it's really really good and it's uh and it's you didn't even did you seriously not realize at first that the celebrities had had generally been duped and they weren't in on it no I didn't I didn't I, I I thought it was uh sort of written in well here's the thing is I don't recognize most of the celebrities yeah I guess that probably didn't help like it's um for for you it would be um kind of obvious that such and such famous actor or panel show person i mean i mean a million panel shows by the way but you know it would be obvious to you that they weren't um they didn't like agree to do some cameo (laughs) in a in in a chris morris like uh surrealist news satire show but um to me, they just look like any other person on the show because they don't know who they are. Yeah, um, I, mean, I mean, because it was because it was made like in the nineties. A lot of them I don't recognize either, or like I've only heard about. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, so that's that person. The uh, the the science episode where they they finish out with the the PSAs about heavy electricity falling out of <laughs> wires and crushing people in Sri Lanka. Stephen Burkhoff <laughs> with the hammer on the little model, <laughs> like this. It's <laughs> so good. I, I mean, this we, we should probably move on before this just devolves into quoting uh, devolves brass eye bits <laughs> into brass eye uh, <laughs> recap show. But so, yeah, uh, let, if you haven't seen Brass Eye, do yourself a favor, find it. I think it's on Vimeo. You can torrent it. It's uh, on YouTube. Just watch it somehow. It's if, really, really. If you're in England, it's on uh, Channel Four. Channel Four's streaming service. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you can find it somehow. You're a yeah. smart person. You listen to Pulch. Do yourself a favor if you haven't seen that show before. It's very good. But wait until this episode is finished first. Yeah, <laughs> listen to the episode first, and also Anchor.fm forward slash Pulch forward slash support. Uh, give us some money and and uh, do Just that in lieu of paying BBC for for Brassard. It's Channel Four, not BBC. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the commercial one. Right? Uh, well, that's uh, Channel 4 is still publicly owned, but it is funded by advertising. Okay. So BBC is publicly owned, and because it's funded by the license fee, it doesn't have advertising. But Channel 4 is publicly owned, but doesn't get the license fee funding, so that has advertising. 
And then, then there's ITV, which is independent television, which is private and entirely advertising funded. And then there's Channel 5, which is just like like turning on the television to blast shit in your face. Is this going to be on the quiz? Um, there, there might be. But, uh, <laughs> but um, bef- before we move on to the... Um, onto the, the subject at hand there's just one more thing i want to i want to bring up that i saw it was it, it's not really relevant now because it's uh you know i saw it between episodes but uh there's a news article about a now it's off to a bad start because it's about a 13 year old girl on tiktok so uh all the adults involved in the story should already be in prison uh so this 13 year old girl you know she starts tiktok she starts making videos she gets popular. She gets a lot of subscribers. Uh, she starts getting stalkers. Uh, one of the stalkers comes to comes to her house with a gun and shoots the door off. <laughs> and but then his gun jams, and the girl's dad, who is an ex-cop, like chases him off with his own gun. And um, so obviously it's pretty bad already. But then the, the the dad's standing guard by the house. The stalker comes back. The dad shoots him dead. Interviewed in the press, he says, yeah, we're still going to let it go on TikTok. <laughs> we're, we're still going to let it get those subscription, you know, this, those um, sponsorship deals and things. Jesus. Yeah. Like, you've literally had to kill a man. You've had to kill a man because of this. And you're like, yeah, no, it's, she likes it. We're making money off, off the sponsorships. That's really, that's really horrific. Uh, what kind of, Stuff does this kid do on TikTok? She just like does like dances and miming along to music, but obviously it's a thirteen-year-old girl, and there's a lot of creeps out there, right? And here's here's the thing that the the guy had had already asked if he could buy pictures of her, and her parents had said you can sell him some pictures that you've already posted on Snapchat anyway. Hmm. Jesus Christ! It's, it's, there's not a <laughs> single thing I like about that story. Uh, everyone involved should be strung up by the ankles. Well, maybe not the girl. But not the yeah. girl. No, all the adults involved. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really very depressing. All right. Uh, if you don't have anything more to add on that, no, I don't. Something, something else that was very depressing was. Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarczuk is how I'm going to commit to saying her name. Uh, This was a Joyce choice, so why don't you kick us off by explaining what was it about this novel that caught your attention and why did you pick it for the show? Uh, Well, as as, uh, we covered uh, early early in, in a much earlier episode uh, Olga as I'm going to call her to avoid saying her surname uh, was awarded one of the two Nobel Prizes awarded that year due to the controversy the year before uh, her, her co-winner obviously a bit more notorious but uh, I you know I came across a copy in the, uh, the charity shop I volunteer in and I thought oh you know it'd be good to keep up with what's going on in modern fiction instead of just reading people who've been dead for 200 years and you know the title's a Blake quote it's a depressing Polish novel about murder you know sounds like my kind of thing 
Uh, so just a quick, quick little uh, potted summary uh, for listeners. Uh, it's published in Polish, 2009. Translation by uh, Antonia Lloyd-Jones in 2018. That's uh, narrated by an old Polish woman who lives in sort of a, a town out in the sticks of Poland in the dead of winter. And uh, prominent uh, local figures start turning up violently murdered are we are we going to worry about spoilers like historically we haven't really no, historically we have i mean i was i was doing a little of a uh, little bit of pre-reading when i had the ending spoiled for me before i'd even read the book so mm-hmm. like, uh, why should why shouldn't the listeners i mean it's 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 kind of it's not a it's not an unprecedented twist i mean we can get into I was I was gonna say because I went in cold, but I, it's it's fairly telegraphed. Like I, I think if you're reading carefully, um, about halfway through, maybe even forty percent ish through, it's pretty clear where it's going to end up. Yeah, because um, because I knew where it was ending up, I was picking up on lots of hints that I could tell. Were, right, like, telegraphing it because I knew what they were telegraphing. Uh, but I think first we'll sort of you know what what did you think of it? We'll we'll sort of talk about our, our our feelings our fee-fees um let me let me start with what i liked about it i i i, I really liked um how do i say this that's not just a, a very squishy kind of aesthetic judgment but the narrative voice was was really effective i think yeah um i think i think uh olga Tukarczuk um did a pretty good job of of creating a voice that sort of um that's really distinctive for the main character and how the main character sees the world. Um, and uh, that sort of, that was for me, one of the more compelling things about the novel. It's, it's very um, believably a crotchety talkative old lady. Yeah. I, I think she did a good job of kind of painting this, this, um, this image of, of the, the narrator kind of internally and also making this, Polish village seem like at once realistic and kind of alien in in, a, in another way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how um, I guess earthy and uh, odd everything seems. It, it it's it's like it, it comes from from a, a sort of different uh, a different aesthetic world than than you're used to in in modern fiction. And uh, for for that reason. If, if that makes any sense at all, uh, I, I thought it was pretty effective. I didn't, I didn't hate this novel. I was, I was texting you some stuff about uh, kind of my annoyances uh, as I was going through it, but yeah, but uh, the, for me, those, those were kind of some of the things that I liked more about the book. Yeah, and your annoyances for for the listener's pleasure. This might be more more just a personal thing, but I have a very low tolerance for hippie nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> and this is hippie nonsense. The book, so I was I was kind of um, I was trying to kind of separate my my reactions from that because not liking the main character is such a pedestrian kind of critique. Right, yeah. that's not even a critique at all. So so, I mean, the main character is written to be pretty annoying right yeah like that's that's intentional so it's it's sort of it's a testament to olga's skill that exactly like me me i'm gonna make this character fucking annoying and you're just reading it yeah that i i don't like hate this old one (laughs) 
that I don't like the preachy granola girl main character. I mean, that's sort of like saying I, I didn't like Patrick Bateman because he kills people, you know, it's <laughs> like that's, that's sort of a well done. Yeah. Like that's the point. So um, for, for that reason, I should, I should kind of preface all that, but um, for, for all the, um, for all the kind of mystical elements, it didn't really seem like he was saying all that much. Um, and let me just put a pin in that comment I just made and we'll, we'll look at it later when we uh, talk about what, what it is actually saying and, and what is actually going on, because I, I didn't think it was actually very deeper sophisticated. I, di- I didn't really get that yeah. much out of it in terms of, of some of the more uh, thematic parts of this book. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I, uh, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed my time with it. Uh, I have, I mean, I have a maybe slightly higher tolerance for a new age mysticism woo-woo than you. But even so, I realized that, like, I mean, I, from what I can tell, Olga herself doesn't believe in this. Like, it is just just the character, which is this weird, hippieish old lady who's deliberately sort of uh, at odds with the society she lives in. So I could, I kind of just, like glazed over at, at, at those bits she is kind of in in that um eco anarchist kind of uh yeah but that doesn't mean to say in real life isn't she i mean that doesn't does mean, mean to say she's she... like horoscopes and and you know peter singer style animal consciousness and stuff yeah yeah but it's um I guess it's it, you just knowing a little bit about her biography. And by that, I mean, I skimmed her Wikipedia page. <laughs> uh, you, you do read that character in sort of a different light if it, than if it were written by, say, her, uh, her co-winner, uh, Peter <laughs> yes. Honka, right? If Peter yeah. Honka wrote this book, you would read it in sort of a different. Yeah, I, th- I think I read it as, I think I read it as sort of, uh, Going back to to Borges, a sort of narrative thought experiment of okay, what if I took this you mm-hmm. know, to the extreme? What if I had an animal rights person who was like, I'm going to think of each and every animal conscious as as individual as human conscious to the to the to the degree that I will kill people to uh, to defend right. it? Because obviously, if someone was going around killing people, we'd and the protagonist of a novel killed them, we'd think, oh, they were perfectly justified doing that. Right, sort of thought experiment of saying, well, why shouldn't we at least think about it in this way for animals as well? Yeah, you're right. It's uh, you mentioned Peter Singer there. It is kind of like a sort of a, a negative version of of Peter Singer's animal rights consequentialism. I mean, I I I eat meat. You know, I'm trying to eat less, but that's mostly because uh, I I could do with losing a couple pounds but uh you know if you do think about it for for a little bit like it is kind of fucked up <laughs> it is kind of fucked up yeah i was uh, uh i i finished this book while i was um i was uh in the middle of a kebab so <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of um not by not by intention i mean that'd be pretty pretty juvenile but i couldn't help noticing it as she's like going on and on i think she explicitly mentions kebabs at one point and uh, I was uh, I was kind of licking tzatziki sauce off of my fingers and so on. So 
<laughs> should have should have gone with falafel for that one. Yeah, some falafels, been some hummus. Uh, what else do vegetarians eat? Uh, mustard soup. I wanted to try her mustard soup recipe. Mustard soup. I've got that, that she that she makes when her um when her her friends show up to accuse her of murder. <laughs> I think the second to last chapter. Yeah. She's making them a mustard. Describes in fairly minute detail how it's made. I mean, you you did make that a uh, that cabbage soup recipe, didn't you? From um, Edward yeah, book. yeah, I did. I I, I uh, Maybe he doesn't can... really talk as much about it. I had to kind of look that up, but I did. <laughs> One of my favorite recipes actually is she, uh, which is a it's a Russian cabbage. I don't know if you'd call it a soup or a stew. Uh, but they're, they're I'll, call it, I'll call it a I'll call it a soup. A it's a, it's um cabbage and sauerkraut, and it's it's seasoned with basically just like pepper and like bay leaves, I think, and then you serve that with sour cream, and yeah. it's fantastic. It's like my favorite like winter food. Um, you can serve it hot, or you can serve it cold. I think it's more traditionally cold, but it's it's really refreshing, and I I love it. So thank you, Edward Limonov. You've done <laughs> nothing wrong. Rest in peace. Is he dead? Yeah, yeah. Limonov died like last year, I think. Okay. We should. I would. I would be so down to do a Limonov episode, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, yes, let's let's not talk about future picks. <laughs> but um, um. Okay. So <laughs> the Pulch Cookbook. You can add these too. <laughs> these wings are delicious. I'll put them in the Gravity's Rainbow Cookbook next to the Frag of Lot K forty nine. So, um, obviously William Blake is uh, a powerful presence in this novel, just from the title, uh, Our Boy Billy. Uh, did you have any thoughts about the uh, about Blake's role? Not really. I mean, I, I, I've got to confess some, some ignorance here. I mean, I've read some William Blake. I, I did a... Um, I did one day about Blake in one of my jobs. I guess I can tease that. Um, uh, yeah. Where I, I prepared some some readings and some kind of secondary uh, expository material to to do the explanation that I couldn't. But um, aside from that, I I don't know. I mean, he had his kind of his whole cosmology in this really um uh, peculiar, unique sort of um perspective on on things. Um, but I I'm not familiar with that enough to to know how that would play into uh, this novel. Yeah, I mean, me neither. <laughs> but it's it's um it's it's mostly sort of uh, the early stuff, you know, the songs of innocence and experience. It's it's not so much the the later, you know, the books of Horizon and things, the real mystical stuff. It's more the little sort of uh, moral tunes, I guess, shall we say? Right. But um, I mean, I I noticed on the on the first page, uh, she describes the innocence. Uh, failing to move from the innocence of sleep into wakefulness. Obviously, innocence is a, a key word and concept for Blake, and it connects. Mm-hmm. Obviously, innocence of sleep to wakefulness. You could kind of see her. I guess we haven't actually mentioned the ending yet. Uh, obviously, she's the one doing the murders. The old lady doing the narrating. Obviously, she doesn't just say that. She kind of blanks over it. So I guess you could you could see her um, eliding over the murders as a sort of sleep, being in a state of innocence, and then she's 
wakes up, she gets woke to the fact that she's been doing all these murders. Yeah, uh, that's that's an interesting point. Uh, how it's um, it is and it isn't necessary that she's kind of um uh, conscious of these happening, right? That it's sort of um just a natural extension of uh, these ideas that she already embraces. Yeah, because she at, at one point she's because obviously be- before. Uh, she she admits to it. She says to you know the police and to the people, she says, "Oh, the animals are doing it. The animals are killing these people and taking their revenge." And then somewhere near the end, she says, "Well, the animals are taking their revenge, but through me." Right. So she, sort of, she can present herself as a. Um, I did write down a page reference. I was their tool. So she sort of, she sort of, um, reverses the 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 animal-human relationship that she's criticizing because obviously the humans only see animals as something they, things they can use for their game that aren't conscious. And she reverses mm-hmm. that by sort of subsuming her own consciousness, saying, oh, I was just doing what the animals wanted. Right, right. Yeah. Um, there's a... So Blake shows up, I, I guess there's there's one there's one quote, see, that I don't butcher it. I, I didn't uh, take down this in my notes, but... Uh, so I think the lions of anger are wiser than the horses of experience. Did I get that right? I've got no idea. <laughs> uh, let me ask uh, Uncle Google real quick. Give myself a bit of extra work as an editor. Why not? I totally butchered that. It's not lions, it's tigers. And it's the tigers of wrath are wiser than the horses of instruction. Wow, I can't believe you got oh. that quote right, Nick. Just, just hopping you sort of with, with the edit there. So... <laughs> oh, so that's probably like a like a sixty percent, not even. That's probably about half correct. That's really bad. Yeah, I mean the the fact that it's Blake should have keyed you off that it was probably a tiger. Yeah, a tiger with a Y. Um, tiger, tiger. But seeing you is a real big treat. So I brought that up because anger is is another thing that shows up sort of like innocence as as something that that comes from the blake and it, it shows up in the in the narrative right that yeah. yanina is uh, again and again it says that she's angry and that that her anger is like a clarifying thing that sort of um uh it's a, it's an engine for her action and sort of um like i said clarifies um uh how she should feel what she should do like um what what these relations between different ideas are and, um, i just i just put it in my notes that uh, in- innocence is kind of key in its absence from certain characters as well like all the hel- the hunters have no sort of qualms about admitting to what they've done they seem to exist in a, in a state of you know of never having had innocence mm-hmm. you know she confronts them with things and she, they never deny it which kind of to her justifies her even more because they're so un- unrepentant Right, which I mean, which is also is also sort of a function of of um, the narrative lens that we we get for for this book, right? Um, that everything is presented from Yanina's perspective. Excuse me, and um, so all the um, all of the color and details are are the color and details that that she would specifically um, highlight and uh, and include, right? Um, so, you know, how, um, how cartoonishly unsympathetic 
uh, certain characters are is, uh, you know, is, is my intention. And uh, I think this shows up quite a bit in, in the, the interactions with other characters, uh, like um, when Yanina is interacting, quite, quite a bit of the, the book is just sort of her monologuing in her head and um, yeah. sort of uh, like uh, tripping through time a little bit to, to give us um, some context uh, about past events. But um, I, I'm thinking of the scenes where she goes to the police bureau and, and she's like um, uh, just trying to, to get them to, to spend their time investigating these, these um, Animal pretty deaths. trivial animal deaths. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, because like uh, the, the narrative, right. Is, is some uh, from her, right. From her first person perspective. Um, and, and this painting these, these bureaucrats is just so condescending and unhelpful, but then, you know, you can't help but notice reading the dialogue. Like if you have just sort of the objectively, what was said, you get this different picture that, oh, she's just being very annoying. Yes, they're, they're, they're <laughs> humoring her as best they can. Like. Right, they're, they're just like, they're just doing what you would do if if some cantankerous little old woman walked into your office and was was trying to, to bother you about like something she saw about a dog or a fox, you know? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're doing what I do at my job when an old person bothers me for some bullshit that's not my problem. <laughs> like yes yes of course oh how terrible yes i'm very sorry let me take that down yep i'll pass that on to someone no i won't <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know just trying to to get out of the interaction because you have actual work to do and and this person is only like semi-employed <laughs> and i mean there is there's an, a, another point where um She's talking to the novelist, and the novelist says, "Oh, you must write down everything. You know, you've got to write your memoirs." And um, Yanina says, uh, "I wouldn't l want to write down everything. I'd only like to write down the things that I find good and positive." So, so obviously, in this narrative, she is she is writing down things she finds bad. So you kind of think, "Well, does that does that fit with the scheme?" And it it kind it kind of does because obviously, when she's writing something, she's writing about doing some someone doing something bad. It's justification for her to to paint them as a you know a murderer who it's fine for her to kill. Right. Yeah. She is sort of writing her own kind of a hagiography here. Right. It's a it's very much um, the details are selected in a way that that justifies her actions and her her um, worldview. It's yeah. kind of an obvious point by me, but um, that that's a that's a good quote to sort of reinforce that. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you you mentioned that it's, it's mostly her monologuing, which uh, kind of is kind of because the, the the book relies on her monologue really. What that's what I enjoyed about it. It's what the main thing there is to enjoy is the voice, because mm -hmm. even even when you can tell, you know, oh she she did the murders, that was it. You know, you can still be sort of carried along by the voice, um, and so there's a point where she's talking about um, singing in a choir of some sort, I think, at a funeral. Yeah, singing at the funeral of um, Bigfoot. And she says, uh, deep voices instantly joined in with my feeble one, producing a hesitant polyphony, which obviously a hesitant polyphony is the exact opposite of this completely self-assured monologue. Right. The, the novel actually consists of. So it contains these little pockets of... Um, 
counterpoint to to her voice, which again, what she's saying is something, but she will let slip things which reveal her, like the scenes in the in the you know the police station where the police are just sort of trying to humour this demented old woman yammering on about foxes and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the uh, the scene in the church when they're they're giving them the uh, the priest is is giving that sermon for for honoring uh, I think Saint Hubert. I'm not Catholic, but uh, Saint Hubert, <laughs> but, right? The patron we're all saint Catholic, hunting. Yeah, Nick. And and she uh you know works in works herself into this this kind of um, frenzy about how hypocritical it is that that uh, Hubert is this patron saint of hunters, and um, she starts like. Uh, arguing with the priest from her, her seat in the pew, and initially nobody even hears her. And yeah. then she she starts saying some stuff, and then it's more or less immediately ushered out. And and in the narrative, this is like this this kind of um uh this this emotional climax of all this stuff that she's she's just kind of being um uh has been internally or expressed to to kind of her her um uh her few friends, and is now kind of something that she's publicly. Um, yeah, uh, is is publicly. God, I, I I think I'm I'm just gonna blame my sickness for how ineloquent I am today. But she's uh, publicly getting this out. Uh, I guess is yeah. That's uh, how I can express that. And uh, it it's so much it's so much uh, less <laughs> less important, right? If you if you sort of read it with with an eye toward okay unreliable narrator aside how how yeah. uh what is this how significant like? an event was this this was just like an an old woman uh gets mad in church <laughs> and then is is ushered out the door I, I i imagine as an american you've seen that plenty of times uh no i haven't no the only churches i've been to are are um kind of low church protestant uh churches uh, where where everyone's pretty much on on board yeah I've never seen anything really dramatic happen. I haven't either. I mean, the, the closest thing I've I've come to seeing dramatics in church is um, so at, at my school we used to at Christmas we used to go to like church services. Because it was a Church of England school, uh, but we went to the uh, the cathedral in the city we were in, and um, it was the last day of sixth form, so like before we all went off to university, and um, obviously because it was the last day of sixth form, we we were eighteen, so we could buy alcohol. And we thought, oh, we're not doing any work today. So we'd all, well, I say we all, several of us had had some uh, some drinks starting at about like 10 a.m. And uh, one one guy had had a, a bit too many, and he was just sat there in the cathedral, obviously drunk, stinking of booze, <laughs> and he had to be like taken out by the teachers. I've got, um, if we can interrupt the, the book just one once more, I've got, um, I've got a fun anecdote about uh, this particular denomination of low church Protestantism. So, uh, some some kinds of Protestants in the U.S. are um, for for theological reasons against uh, instrumental music. If you sing hymns in church, they have to be uh, a cappella. They have to be only the human voice. So wait, wait. So like inst inst like. Is, does that apply to like their whole lives, or is it just in religious context, or can they just not like, their entire? Not, okay, not their just entire in lives, church. They just, can't to just during the service, yes, yeah. because they because they uh, there's no explicit mention of this being a part of the first century church. Um, 
you know, there's no explicit mention that the first century church used uh, any kind of instruments to accompany themselves. Um, so, uh, so you just don't do that, right? If yeah. it's not explicitly uh, whitelisted by the New Testament, then it's not going to be a part of of the service. Obviously, that's that's applied very uh, selectively, but yes, I don't have to go into that. They're not doing it in caves in the Middle East, so they're not like, you know, one hundred percent. Right. Yeah. But um. Anyway, that's not the anecdote. The anecdote is right. So, so this dovetails with some basic physics, which is that the speed of sound is not very fast. And if you have a large auditorium um, where some person is leading a song and the, the congregation is um, following them in the song, right, trying to keep tempo, then for reasons that by the time the sound gets to the back of the auditorium, just a slight amount of time will have passed and people's reactions times are are not instant. So yeah. both of those things compound. And that means that almost every time you <laughs> sing a hymn in one of these denominations, like there's this negative feedback system against the tempo of the song <laughs> where the song leader will, will start the song. He'll get a couple measures in. The congregation is singing along, but the people in the back are like just a few milliseconds behind. Yeah. And they're influencing the people in front of them. And that gets all the way toward the song leader where he realizes, oh my goodness, I'm ahead of everyone in the song. So I need to slow down. (laughs) And so if the song is more than like three minutes long, like some of them are, (laughs) then the tempo is like half time by the time you get to the end. And as a musician, this frustrated the hell out of me in church that, um, that the tempo would just be dragging at like 30 BPM by the end of the song because we have nothing to keep like metronomic time against. We're just in this negative feedback loop (laughs) with ourselves that's dragging the speed of the song to like this glacial pace. And anyway, I had to interrupt you to to give you that anecdote because it's... um, That's very good. This happens in every single like Church of Christ uh, that you'll go to, and it's really, if you're a musician, you're you're gonna just want to tear your hair out. Also, the 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 um the pitch, right? The pitch uh, falls as well, because oh, one nice thing about instruments is that A four on my piano is always an A four, but the uh, the song leader is um uh whatever uh you know uh. Oh, what are those called? The, the thing you blow into to get to get a pitch to start a song. Anyway, he only gets that one note. Yeah. And then if everyone's flat, he's either <laughs> he's, he's either gotta choose to to drop down and be flat with everybody else, or or to uh to sing slightly higher than everyone else and have it sound horrible. <laughs> So anyway, by the end of the the, the song, you're going to drop like 30 BPM and you're going to drop like two or three semitones. Yeah. <laughs> because no one's a musician. That's, it's what Jesus would have wanted. Just a complete <laughs> cacophony of amateurism. Uh, I hadn't gone to one in, in a couple of years, but I was visiting my parents and I went along with them. And I just, <laughs> I just remember thinking, like, I don't remember... I didn't remember how fucking horrible <laughs> this sounds. You were just sat there in your chair, fuming like, "Oh my god, this is awful." 
don't I don't wanna I don't wanna, you know, poo-poo on people's uh faith, but on the musical from ability, a musical, sure. <laughs> from a musical perspective, it's it's unbearable. <laughs> yeah, and the smaller and more fundamentalist the church is, the worse this problem is. Oh, really? You'd think you'd think a small church <laughs> would be kind of you know if if it was small enough, it would overcome the the distance problem. No, because because that I I think it just correlates with age and uh, uh, yeah. and lack of musical training. <laughs> makes it even worse. Uh, we should tape this and uh, and sell it on CD. Yeah, people would really get a kick out of it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the, the the thing is, her her comment about uh, Saint Hubert uh, is is correct, really, because obviously, like his whole deal was, oh, I was hunting and I saw a stag with a cross on it, so I'm going to stop hunting. Yeah. It is, it is ironic. Searching for logic in Catholicism is a fool's endeavor. That's right. Church Catholicism. You're <laughs> on blast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I Assuming St. Hubert is a real saint, which I, I don't know for a fact. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a good point, right? It probably is. I've got, a, I've got a dictionary of saints somewhere in here. I could look them up. But I'm not going to. There's too many of them. Uh, oh, my God. I was, I was talking to someone once. And um, it came out that sh- she thought that Catholics weren't Christians because they worshipped saints instead of God. I was very confused. And like this person, this this wasn't like a, it's not like, you know, oh, I'm a strict Protestant and I think Catholics are heathens and the Pope is the Antichrist. This was just like a person who right. thought, oh yeah, Catholics, they worship saints. They don't worship Jesus. So they're not Christians. Yeah, yeah. I, I've um I've always been a little bit confused seeing all this stuff online about how how much more hardcore catholics are than than protestants because uh our take on it was always that catholics have low religiosity because they don't go to church every week a good low church protestant goes to church sunday morning sunday night and wednesday night that's three church sessions a week i mean that's that's a much bigger time commitment so i mean we always thought that we were much more hardcore i mean real hardcore catholics go to mass every day I guess yeah, that's true. It depends on where you live and kind of like the religious demographics. Because like, if you're living in, I'm trying to think of a Catholic area, Ireland. (laughs) If you're living in Ireland, right? They're 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 big on Catholicism over there, or Poland, because it's you know, yeah. As as one character says to Yanina, "We're all Catholics here," because obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Poland is still a still a largely uh, religiously traditionalist society, where there's this expectation of. Even if even if you don't attend church, you're Catholic because you're Polish because you're born into this Catholic culture. Yeah, but when when American like Italian American Catholics talk about their Catholic guilt, I, I just always think, what what the fuck are you talking about? You spend, <laughs> like five hours in church every year. <laughs> you, you should have Catholic guilt. You're not good enough at it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know how you get imposter syndrome by being an imposter. <laughs> Charlatan. Be <laughs> to a nunnery. <laughs> I mean, I've, most of my notes are just sort of picking out uh, little little details. Like on one of the first pages, there's a. Thus, I combine the practical and the sentimental, which is obviously because she's you know she is kind of hard headed about 
you know, the way she lives her life, what she does, but she's also, you know, reduced to tears over animals doing things. I mean, there's not much of a further point, I guess, is that, do you think, do you think Blake fits that? Blake was, yeah. very, Blake was very practical is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Blake, Blake, I definitely think of as, as pretty, um, if those are on two axes, he's definitely more towards the sentimental. Yeah. Do you have more to add on that, or can I? No, not really. I mean, I just, I guess, in terms of in terms of Blake's uh, artistic production, he was practical because he like he did all of his copper plating himself. But again, that's uh, uh, certain people would view that as sentimentality in itself because it's it didn't make him a lot of money, it didn't make him any money, frankly. <laughs> he was just doing it for the love of the game. Yeah. I really, I really want to get into Blake. I, uh, I think um, one thing that's kind of holding me back is it seems like such a shame to read it on like Kindle, you know, because he has this this uh, beautiful artwork that's yeah I almost mean, almost as as much uh, uh, of importance as like the the poetry. Yeah, because I, I I mostly I'm mostly familiar with his uh, his art, his visual art. One of my favorite rooms in the Tate is the William Blake room, where it's just oh cool. It's a lot of just a lot of his, you know, most important stuff. Like a ghost of ghost of a flea is in there, and it's it's tiny. It's like hardly bigger than a postcard, but you can get right up to it. And it's just astonishing what he could do on such a small scale. Let's see. I want to talk about the astrology parts, but I also want to go to the bathroom. So can I can I take five minutes? Uh, yeah, we'll take a break here. Yeah. All right. And we're back. Uh, just seen uh, Epic Games have purchased Bandcamp. Really? The guys who make Fortnite? Yeah. They own the rights to all my music now? <laughs> yeah, you should start asking for some money. I should, yeah. I, um, man, I, I, uh, my own projects, I don't think I've ever sold anything because uh, they're, all, they're all optional and uh, no one's going to pay money if they don't have to. Yeah. And then um, I had a metal project with, uh, I guess I shouldn't say his name, but I had a metal project with one of my friends in high school that. Uh, Some Serbs stole. That's right. We got on the Serbian record label and they never paid us and they stopped answering our emails and they're selling our music for, I think, $5 a pop. And someone on Rate Your Music gave it uh, three out of five stars. And <laughs> That's my music career. That's pretty good for radio music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aside from aside from playing piano in my friend's restaurant one time, that's that's all I've <laughs> ever done. I've never made any money. <laughs> I mean, I made more money like half-assing my way through some like uh, fake book jazz stuff than uh, for for forty-five minutes than I I did for years of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> infinitely more money don't become a musician if you're out there and you're like 14 you don't know what to do get really into programming <laughs> get get really into computer science start the next facebook and then uh, pay us back by giving us lots of money yeah 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 i i want a little cut for that uh that information but i want get a really big into cut. computer science and if you don't like that um sports betting it can't go wrong <laughs> Uh, there was there was one kid at my school who um he was he was there a few years before me, but uh, he was he was talked about because he'd 
uh, he'd started a website where he like he tabulated all of the information about racehorses so he would like tell you what horses to bet on in what race mm-hmm. so he'd see like oh what horse does better on this kind of turf at this time of day at this time of the year like just extremely extremely specific granular information did he get any kind of statistical significance did he did he get any uh, kernel of truth there uh, I mean, it, it must have worked because he kept making money off it, which he presumably nice. wouldn't have done if it didn't work. That's really cool. Yeah, that's that's neat. Cool kid. Yeah, but anyway, um, back to Olga Tokarczuk, which is definitely not how it's pronounced. You live so much closer to Poland than I do. Yeah. <laughs> Poland is like as far away from you as like California is to me. That's probably not true, but probably you know what I mean. Much less. I've been to Poland. You share you Lovely share country. a continent with uh, with Poland. Yeah, nothing bad to say about Poland. Um, I, I I went to school with several Poles. A couple of them were assholes, but like most of the people I went to school with were assholes. Yeah. Uh, I always remember there was one time where um, it was like obviously during for most of secondary school you're just doing like all of the compulsory subjects. And then in in sixth form, you get to choose the three or four that you actually want to study. And I remember one time I was I was walking down the corridor during the period where like it was it was a time where people were choosing what those three or four subjects would be. Mm-hmm. And uh, I walked past someone who was talking to a teacher, and it's like uh, he he wants to do sports studies, which is like you know PE with a thin academic veneer. And he was being told that while yeah he could do the sort of physical aspects, he didn't have the grades to be able to do sports studies. <laughs> oh. Imagine being told you're too stupid to study PE. Ah, uh, not too stupid. Just, you know, not everyone tries really, really hard in, in school. You you didn't have to try really hard to do well at, at sports studies. Oh. Based based on the people who did get into sports studies. I'm trying to be generous. I went to school with this guy. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna try to be generous. All right. All right. I, I didn't. I didn't go to a to an outstanding school. I went to like a B or C grade school. Speaking of one thing that you should study if you're not very smart, let's talk about another thing that you should study if you're not very smart, and that's astrology. Astrology <laughs> figures oh, oh. really heavily. Oh, oh. <laughs> cutting <laughs> in this book. Yeah, I know that was. A... That's such a cancer thing to say, Nick. It's such a low-hanging fruit, too. I don't. It doesn't feel right to pick on astrology because it's like it's like a picking on disabled children or something. It's just a mean. It's it's like shooting fish in a sardine tin because even a barrel is too easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's those witty Britishisms people come to this uh, uh, show for, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think the function of of astrology was in this narrative? What did it? say about the character or add to the story um it's kind of the archetypal hippie dippy vegetarian as you said granola eating mm-hmm. uh white woman with dreadlocks thing <laughs> isn't it um, yeah as, just to explain that look up the writer on google images uh, as as I said, I, I kinda, I kinda just glazed over Whenever astrology was mentioned, mm-hmm. 
but I guess there is the kind of because astrology is kind of submission to a larger system where it's saying, oh, everything is dictated by the stars and the planets and the moon and whatever. And uh, Yanina also kind of submits to a system, but it's a system of morality where she says, mm-hmm. oh, this is the right thing to do. I am the tool of animals. You know, you know. she describes herself as not really being conscious of what she's doing when she's killing people. Right. I think, I mean, what's interesting about the way astrology shows up for Yanina's sort of um, worldview is that it's um, it's not like this completely new age, like rejection of, of rationalism, right? The way astrology figures for her is as a kind of rationalism, right? Yes. She talks about, you know, before computers that she would figure star charts using a slide rule. Yes, she, she applies a lot of scientific methods to her astrology. She's very... Uh, right. You know, she puts a lot of work into it. Yeah, yeah, that she, she uses these charts on a, on a computer and um, has some kind of, like, arithmetic uh, calculation that, that goes into reading people's charts and, and trying to make predictions about the future. Um, and there's one point, I think she's talking to the, um, the scientist or naturalist character that she, she makes an argument, you know, basically citing one time that, that astrology was, was predictive in, in a couple different ways, basically to, to make the argument that, no, this is, this is a rational system. Um, it's just like non-standard. Yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting because you could sort of imagine this kind of character being like, um, driven really just by sentiment and um, not really um, not really liking the idea of, of sort of a, a rational system um, determining outcomes, but it's quite the opposite, right? And yes, it's very it's, it's very it's, important to Yanina that this this uh, calculable kind of predictive system, well, you know, predictive for her. Obviously, yes, she she can make system. these claims to to an outside authority. Right, right. But but that that there's sort of this thing that's not not entirely internal to her, but I guess, you know, doesn't really have purchase outside of her internal yeah. system of reasoning that um that is quasi-scientific, right? That that isn't just completely arbitrary. Yeah. I mean I should maybe have read Adorno's essay on astrology for this. I heard a feature on that, but I haven't. I haven't actually read it myself. I've got. A, I've got a copy of the book that it's in, but I've not read it. Um, it's, I mean, uh, it's vicious, like all of Adorno. <laughs> He's not nice. I read. Um, I, I did read uh, "Towards a New Manifesto" by him and Horkheimer this week. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Adorno never meant something he couldn't complain about. <laughs> <laughs> Adorno hates everything except Beethoven. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's it's so it's so cute that all of his friends call him Teddy. <laughs> yeah yeah you want to talk about an old crank there's a doornail i mean not really a crank but a crotchety old person yeah it's a doornail for you what a guy hates everything from jazz to supermarkets who doesn't hate supermarkets at least i don't know there are plenty of people who like jazz but um, but another thing, sort of with with the exterior morality uh, system, is um, early on, uh, Yanina says, 
suddenly I realised what a good thing death can be, how just and fair, like a disinfectant or a vacuum cleaner. And I thought it was interesting that these two, uh, her two chosen sort of compar- points of comparison for, ju- for justice are artificial. You know, they're man-made, disinfectant and a vacuum cleaner. She doesn't posit there being uh, an innate morality to nature because obviously nature is red in tooth and claw. The animals do have to eat each other to survive. Right. So she doesn't appeal to that, you know, which kind of connects to her trying to see herself as not just being soft-hearted, as being rational. Yeah, yeah. Well, she has this almost um, like a personalized descriptions of her Suzuki samurai. Oh, yeah. She, 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 she literally refers to it as a, as a friend, like to the police. They're like, who's the samurai? Oh, it's a friend. Yeah, Mr. Suzuki. Um, which, by, if I had a Suzuki samurai, I'd, I'd refer to it similarly, too. Those are really cool. I, I don't know if they make those uh, anymore, but they're, they're really neat. Yeah. Look it up if you don't know what those look like. They're just, uh, I wish they made, I guess you'd call it crossover. I wish they made little vehicles like that nowadays. No, it's all giant trucks that will kill you if you look at them funny. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to connect this to the, to the previous point, but I can't really. I I'll let you think for a minute. Uh, no, I'm just going to go straight into it. So obviously, uh, she she refers to all of the character the other characters by nicknames. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Oddball, Bigfoot. Um, I can't think of any of those, but you know. Uh, and she says, uh, I'm sure this is the right way to use language rather than tossing about words stripped of all meaning. Uh, you know, we should give them the name we consider suitable and fitting, thus we are polynymous. Which, uh, um, I guess, is an interesting contrast to kind of, the, again, her, her authoritative monologue is sort of obsessively single-minded. You know, it, it's me... I am right, I am just, I am good. But these kind of fringes at the edges of the system where it's sort of, she says, oh, things can be you know, multifarious, multivalent, uh, more open to, to a change of interpretation. Yeah, that is interesting because I'm, I'm trying to think of any point in the narrative or, or in the internal monologue where she um, sort of recognizes the, the potential validity of other perspectives, and I, I can't think she doesn't, <laughs> right? She, it's... she's, she's got the answer for for basically everything. Yeah, I mean, even even at the end when she like confesses, you know, she never, she doesn't experience a, you know a single twinge of regret or doubt. She's just like, well, I've done it, I've confessed to it. I guess it's only natural that my friends bundle me out of here and I can get away. Yeah, or that I've, I've just. Uh brutally executed people uh like uh i mean from the sounds of it they had it coming so like like the yeah like the like the hunters i uh you know for the same reasons that they that they needed to be executed right yeah they've done precisely the the same thing that that um made me so uh angry about them in the first place yeah i mean not really any recognition of that I mean, if, if I lived in this village, I wouldn't exactly be mourning these people. Well, not them. from her descriptions of them. It's right? not like a bunch of rotters. I mean, that's sort of the point, right? Is it's not really... Yeah. Um, if there were any redeeming details about um, like the, um, uh, the president of the, the 
mushroom picking society or whatever bullshit they do in this <laughs> podunk town. She, she, um, do, she does at least admit that even she thinks mushrooms are boring. Yeah, like uh, if there were any redeeming details about them, they would certainly have been left out of the narrative, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's not exactly a a neutral uh, description of, of these people. Uh, yeah, so obviously it's you know a textbook unreliable narrator because once you've sort of once you've got the trick, everything is um, sort of visible in that light. Yeah, which I guess is why it wasn't really that successful for me, is that um, it, it didn't seem to have much to offer beyond that. Like, yeah, it, it's a bit too simple to function as detective fiction, you know, as a mystery. Yeah, not really detective fiction, but this, as a this, sort this. of um, unreliable narrator whodunit, because there's nothing else teased as a possible motive. Yeah, there's I no mean, red sure herrings. There's no, like, unless you think, oh, the animals really are doing it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of the only other option. Um, and and once you catch on to the fact that um, Yanina is not uh, is not being a, a really uh, very neutral with us, it becomes pretty obvious what's going on in in the book. So, on on, on a surface level, right? It's it's a pretty simple narrative. And um, I don't know, I just didn't find myself all that interested in her uh, outlook and, and yeah. system of beliefs. I wasn't uninterested in it, but it, it was not, I, I didn't read this and think, oh my God, give this woman a Nobel. Yeah. I, I think that the level on which it functioned most effectively, like I said, was just in the, in the way that... Uh, Olga Tokarczyk was able to craft this voice that, uh, that's so unique for this character. I just wish that voice were used to um, maybe give us a little bit more that just yeah. something more to chew on. Um, it was fine, but I wasn't blown away by it. And um, my, my analysis of it is, is a little bit uh, tainted by the fact that I'm just not the kind of person who wants to read 350 pages of of, a, of an old woman monologuing about animal rights and astrology like, <laughs> just in the abstract that's a pretty hard sell for someone like me yeah yeah i mean i feel like i've kind of uh reached reached the uh the dregs of my notes you know i've hit the major points uh, so listeners uh write in tell us uh if you've read the book what you thought of it uh if you haven't read the book what what do you think of it based on your impression of it I've not read it. Yeah, if you haven't read the book, um, imagine what it's about and uh, give us a reader response to your imagined version <laughs> of this novel. Tell us what happened and... Uh, Pretend you're back at school and are blagging a report on a book <laughs> you haven't read. Uh, yeah, or, or did we have news that we wanted to do? Or uh, there's, a, there's a couple of news items. Uh, so obviously the, the 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 big book news recently has been uh, uh, Art Spiegelman's Mouse was banned in an American school, which obviously led uh, to a pretty predictable situation, but did also lead to the incredible images of Spiegelman vaping while zooming into CNN from his home, which is always that's amazing. incredible. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I saw that it was banned. Uh, like I saw that news item and I just kind of skimmed past it. Kind of more culture war bullshit. I don't care. Ed, yeah, because like, if you, oh, what am I going to learn if I look into it? I'm going to learn what these people said was their justification for banning mouse. Well, yeah, I can guess. And you know, what are people saying in opposition to banning mouse? Yeah, I, I know what they're going to say, and I know they're going to be ignored by the people who banned mouse. Yeah, yeah, you kind of don't really need to read the 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 story to to get what's probably going to uh, to be going on. I mean, I the only thing I have to say about it is like I haven't read mouse, but it's like oh, you should do it's, it's great. It's about the Holocaust, right? I mean, yeah. Do we really need to use a a graphic novel about like cats and and rats as a way to like teach children about the holocaust like couldn't we just have them read a book about the holocaust that's not this this analogy like i'm sure it's a i'm sure it's a good graphic novel but like if we're in school like couldn't we just yeah. have them read one of the innumerable books that's non-fiction describing the holocaust that seems like a better I mean, it is mouse is is nonfiction because it's it's based it's it's about his father's experiences. Like it's not nonfiction. It's about cats. Well, the no- Nazi Germany was not run by animals, <laughs> literally. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a it's a comic book. Like, it's we it's don't, an allegorizing method. Yeah, like, but we don't need. You could just teach kids <laughs> history. Like it's school. It's yeah, education. How how many kids you went to school with paid attention in history? Even them paid attention when they read the graphic novel Mouse. There was there was one girl in my history class who every week said, Miss, I'm on my period. I need to go to the toilet. Every week for about half an hour. Now, uh, obviously, either that wasn't true or that woman had uh, serious medical issues. <laughs> Um, maybe she, maybe someone explained what a period was to her, but she didn't quite get it. And she thought it was just any time you felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Didn't really grasp the concept of, uh, menstruating. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, mouse, uh, the other item is, uh, Joanne Harris, author of, uh, Chocolat, uh, mostly remembered for a, uh, by me at least, but for a late period Simpsons joke, um, uh, one of her, her her recent book, she turned down a book club deal in the states because they wanted her to remove the use of the fuck bomb, and uh, she said no. But yeah, I mean, literary news, bit bit thin on the ground. Uh, what else? What else have you been reading? Uh... Yeah, not a lot of literary news. Not a lot of uh, real world news either. Like nothing really has been in the headlines that I can think of being of much importance pretty slow couple weeks really it's, in the, in the it's new the season <laughs> it's it's been nice to have a break from all the uh, urgent headlines hasn't it just have Absolutely. a nice calm february in which nothing nothing much occurs you can hear how relaxed i am yeah what have i been reading lately i started reading um so i've read a bunch of technical stuff for this writing project i've been working on i won't bore you with that because you're not really gonna get much out of it but um uh, before bed i've been reading boxing a cultural history yeah um which is really cool it's a it's quite a tome i have it on kindle so i can only see just how long the file size is um, yeah but um it's it's pretty it's pretty long kind of academic 
almost a little bit dry, but um, it, it's it's really cool because it, it sort of traces through how boxing developed as a sport um, by kind of um, looking at um, looking at written material about it. And I'm I'm about midway through where it's talking about the sort of what led up to the the golden age of English boxing. Yeah, and it was kind of this um really really low class like blood sport spectacle and um how like boxing excuse me boxing promoters would use um like allusions to like uh homer and uh like uh like combat in in classical greek uh literature and classical greek history as a way of kind of elevating boxing to be something more than just um two guys punching each other yeah, yeah, or two women. I mean, a lot of them, um, a lot of early boxing, like there was women's boxing was was quite popular, and, and a lot of it was sold in really salacious language. You know, <laughs> where the um, the the female boxers would uh, become undressed as as the fight went on, and um, yeah, so that sort of gives you a picture of of um, it wasn't really a sport so much as just a uh, a way to look at titties. Spe- spectacle. <laughs> yeah, um, that that was gradually elevated in sort of the sport of boxing we know today. I'm a bit of a boxing fan. So yep. um, it's been, it's been cool to me. There's, there's boxing scenes in Tom Jones, the, the writer talks about. It's pretty oh, cool. I love Tom Jones. That's a, that's a great novel. What's new, Pussy Cat? It's your <laughs> favorite song. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a precursor to Pynchon, how there'd just be songs in the novel. All the hits. <laughs> that's actually where the singer Tom Jones got the lyrics for all of his songs. <laughs> No, no one will read this boy. Oh, they'll never know. It's He's not Welsh. unusual. It's actually written by Henry Fielding. Yeah, but that that's what I've been reading. It's really long, and uh, I'm probably yeah. going to start skimming through it because it gets kind of into the weeds of all these uh, 18th century texts that I'm not super interested in, but it's, yeah. it's pretty cool so far. Nice. What have you been reading? Um... I read, oh, I recently read A History of Judaism, which uh, it wasn't what I was expecting going in because I was expecting like a, a broader history of like Jewish people, you know, in history, but it was specifically a history of Judaism, the religion. Mm-hmm. As, so it only sort of touched on exterior events as they affected Judaism. It was still interesting, but like, uh, like you say, a lot of in the weeds of different sects and different like textual disputations. Uh, so I, I feel um, better educated now. Yeah, it's, uh, that's neat. I don't know very much about Judaism. I know too much about Judaism now, if anything. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how the sort of, sort of the, the mystical parts of it are, are still are still alive. Like they're, they're, they're a, not like a huge number, but like, you know, a non-zero number of you know, Jewish communities who are still like, oh, the Messiah is expected any day now. <laughs> everything's gonna be turned over in fire and you know whirlwinds well they're they're probably watching the news with rapt attention then yes and, fire uh, and whirlwinds all that what else have i read oh i read uh john bath's sabbatical cool how was that uh that was great actually that was brilliant uh i was i was expecting because it uh his previous novel was letters which is one of the most complicated novels i've ever read 
And I've always heard people have always, I know, I've always seen people speak of sabbatical as like, oh, it is his sabbatical novel where he's sort of, he's in holiday mode. But it, it kind of gets just as difficult, really, just as involved in, in thinking about fiction and form and things. Mm-hmm. I feel like of, of all the kind of famous American postmodernists, he's the one who doesn't get talked about as much. Yeah, he's, he's definitely had a bit of a fall from grace in like uh, critical terms. Just comparing him to like Pynchon or, or Coover or someone like that. Yeah. I've, I've been reading some Coover as well, actually. My, my, my bedtime reading at the moment is uh, his Prick Songs and Descants. I haven't heard of that. Uh, it's, it's like a collection of short stories. It's, it's, it's good fun. It's just, you know, it's good to read, you know, one or two on my Kindle in bed before I doze off. Yeah, short stories are great for that. Short stories or really dry academic texts are, are my favorite bedtime reading. Yeah. I, I can't I can't do dry academic texts in bed because I will just like conk out after a page and a half and not remember. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Well, have you ever seen um have you ever seen Super Jail, the adult swim show? No. There's there's one bit I always remember where um there's a science fair in the prison and one of the prisoners de- demonstrates his sleep machine and he's he's just sat on a table and he smashes himself in the head with a brick and knocks himself out. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty fun uh i think the best sleep aid i've ever found is uh is aristotle's physics yeah read that i had, uh, I had to read that for the one philosophy class i took in university did you i didn't do for i didn't do very well in that philosophy class <laughs> i i wouldn't either that's it's aristotle is maybe the worst writer in the western <laughs> canon um, Aristotle I mean, is a punishingly bad writer. I mean, in, in his defense, what we've got is like like lecture notes which are translated into Arabic and then translated back, like by his students. Like we we don't have it's not like right. Plato where we have what Plato actually wrote. Right, right. Have what people remembered Aristotle saying and has then been translated and retranslated and then retranslated. Yeah, yeah. Well but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. That that it is it is painful. To, to read Aristotle, um, especially in comparison to Plato. Plato is such a fun writer. And yeah. Aristotle is <laughs> maybe the most tedious man in the entire Western canon. Um, I mean, it's, it's remarkable what he was able to achieve given how, how uh, primitive science and mathematics were when he was alive. But yeah, good God, reading, <laughs> reading Aristotle as a primary source, like that with a little bit of like Zequil or melatonin, is the the best sleep aid I've ever found. Tip, top tips for you there, listeners. Uh, I believe this makes us the audio equivalent of Viz magazine. I don't know what that is, but yeah. Oh, we it's are. It, it's it's a, a a comic in England that um it publishes it publishes top tips from readers, which are always stuff like, "Do you hate your neighbor? Pull your cock out and piss on his dog, and he'll never talk to you again." Stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, kind of like a Mad Magazine sort of thing, like yeah, facts. Mad Magazine, Maybe a bit but more crude, but yeah, with vulgarity and swearing and knob gags and things. Like Mad Magazine is still PG rated. Viz is very much. Uh, a, I mean, I'm not going to say adults only because it's 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 like 15 year old boy humor level, right? But, but the thing is, like, that's still pretty funny to me. Yeah, I love a good knob gag. 
because <laughs> uh, I remember I was, I was reading an interview with the founders once and they, they started it in like the 70s they said oh yeah we, we had we had a special price for students where we charged them more because we hated them because they got all the fit girls <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's that's a funny way to phrase that get all the fit girls <laughs> but um I, I believe that uh that wraps us up for this this week's episode of Polch, a midweek special, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We we did this on a Wednesday. It's kind of rare for us. Um, yeah, so that's that's all that we had. Um, if you liked it, anchor.fm forward slash Polch slash support. Yeah, yeah, you support it if you if you for some reason feel like that's something you should do. I'm not really going to make the sale, but. Uh, I feel like it's something you should do. So uh, consider that the sale. What are we going to do with your $4 a month, listeners? That's kind of... Um... Sports betting. Sports betting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I, I called I called the last uh, the last UFC main event uh, to the round. I had it by TKO, and that's exactly what happened. I don't have a prediction for this weekend. Um, let me You've just alienate... Time. Completely alienate Joyce for a second here. Between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, I don't really know what's what's going to happen. People call him George, but it, it's J-O-R-G-E. Anyway, between Masvidal and Covington, I don't really know. I mean, Masvidal is way better at striking than Covington is, and and he's probably got the takedown defense to deal with Covington's wrestling, but maybe not. Um, both of these guys are coming off losses, and. Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't like either of them, and I'm probably not going to watch it. <laughs> you heard her first, folks. Nick is not going to watch UFC this weekend. Um, let me make a prediction, actually, because by the time this is edited, the listeners will already know what's happening. I'm going to call it for Covington by decision. Yeah? You're going to give us a round? Uh, by decision means it went oh. the, the whole time, and, and the ah. judges determine it. Yeah, so uh, shows how little I know. I'm gonna say it goes the distance, and Covington wins unanimous decision. Yeah. Uh, so hold me to it. You tell me by the time you listen to this, tell me if I was wrong. <laughs> I won't know. So you tell tell him he was wrong at Pulchpod on Twitter or Pulchpod at gmail.com. Yeah, and give me your picks so I can know what to bet your money on. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I don't have if, any action on this weekend, but next next time. If, if, if you are donating money, specify what bets you want <laughs> Nick to bet. make with it. <laughs> this might be illegal. This might not be... This, this might be... I mean, it's, it, can't, un, it can't be un, illegal, un, can it? Unless, unless one of them has... National like, bookie. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless one of them has, like, inside knowledge, surely. It's not like... If you are uh, George Masvidal or Colby Covington, <laughs> throw the fight for us. <laughs> Please write into the show. Take Tell us what to bet on. Take a fall so we can bet $4 and win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure both of those guys would be listening to a podcast about the 2019 <laughs> Nobel Prize winning novel. <laughs> They listen in their headphones while they're training in the gym. You know, you got to stimulate the mind as well as the body. If you're Colby Huffington and you're hitting pads <laughs> while listening to this, <laughs> I 
<laughs> wow, this dude is really fucking angry. What's he listening to? I disagree with these guys' opinions on all guitar concert. They're pronouncing it so wrong. <laughs> Hammering away. They're totally wrong about Camille Paglia. <laughs> let me let me DM them on Twitter so they'll know I'm gonna throw the play. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and on that bombshell. It's time to end. Good night. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> Relax. 227. It's kind creatures till I can't see it no more. With my kind creatures in the state straight to the O. Rental car speeding with a cake taped in the dough. I'm here in your region whipping eggs, win a blow. With my door eating niggas, stay blazing a joke. I'm blazing a drove Why he play the PlayStation? With my Maggie on my lap, why the K in the flow? Stuffing baggies full of crack, rocking yay on the stove. Just so happen I can rap, and it's taking its toll. The way that I'm bold, kind creatures breaking the most. The way that we roll, some gotta give. On the up and up, cause I got a deal and move this big on ain't nothing up. I ain't got a deal and them pigs know it's something up, but I'm not these niggas in this biz for a couple bucks. I got some niggas doing biz over a hundred plus, plus I shot a nigga as a kid for a hundred bucks. Throw your sevens high, or your six is low. If you for seven mile, or man equals roll, drugs on six mile regs, seven mile pay, neighbor gang. Throw your sevens high, or your six is low. If you from seven mile, or man equals roll. Drugs on six mile regs, seven mile pay. Mm, neighbor gang. Just before the paragraph, I ain't dim with intent. Slung a quarterback to hell time six. What I spent two deuce in the quarters with regs, riding empties with tents. Young Detroit is getting cash. I extended my clip six and hill block. Little quarter mags then switch six to twelve shots. Chilling on the crib with bricks. We still got quarters, halves, and zips. 350 for them quarters, halves for six. We still rock quarters, bag and nicks. Don't forget. Who peel popper, snort drags at it. I got those. We deal spots, corners, abs, and strips. Ghetto. We feel spots, corners, abs, and scripts. Ghetto. I still cop quarter bags of chips. Used to steal pops from stores, bad and shit. I still cop quarts and halves from chip. The deal block scorching ass, G Nick and ripples. On hill block point yak for Ricky Littles. And deal cops on my last and middle initial. To seal blocks with all my stands with beers, we miss you. It's hill block, Bodie Chap from West Magnet. Throw your sevens high, or your six is low. If you from seven mile, or man equals roll. Drugs on six mile regs, seven mile pay. Mm, neighbor gang. Throw your sevens high, or your six is low. If you from seven mile, or man equals roll. Drugs on six mile regs, seven mile pay. Mm, neighbor gang. It's four quarters in a O, 64 in a bow, 36 a quarter crow. Brick a blow, 144 times seven, that's a brick. Mile seven to the six. Curtis Kerr Curtis, say. Southfield service drugs. Four quarters in a O, 64 in a bow, 36 a quarter crow. Brick a blow, 144 times seven, that's a brick. Mile seven to the six. Curtis Kerr Curtis, say. Southfield service drugs. Throw your sevens high, or your six is low. If you from seven mile, or man equals roll. Drugs on six mile red. Seven mile pay, mm, neighbor gang. Throw your sevens high, or your six is low. If you from seven mile.